You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, powered by Interstate Batteries. From your truck to your trail camera, Interstate Batteries has you covered. Visit your local Interstate Battery store today or online at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. is the Land and Legacy Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Keith. And Matt Dye. And we're right here on Sportsman's Nation, coming to you with our hunting podcast. Last week we talked about, I don't remember, what did we talk um, about? It was, oh, our missus. Missus, yes. And this week we are here to talk about, because we're following that up and saying, because we it, brought, it was brought to our attention, about um, blood trailing. And we covered in a lot of in-depth on our Habitat podcast. I don't even know what number, but you can go back and find oh, it. Oh, I think it was in the twenty high 20s or 30s or something. Blood trailing deer. And this week on the Honey Podcast, we wanted to focus specifically on one lung deer because to me this is one of the biggest mistakes that we can make on trailing deer. It's one of those shots that looks great, but we oftentimes are left scratching our head going, what in the heck happened? It, it looks great. It feels great. The evidence looks great for the first few steps in a blood trail, and you just get going, honestly, way too fast, and we all know the rest. But I think that I, I kind of wish there was a stat, honestly, about the number of deer that got one lung and not recovered versus recovered. I, honestly, because... I would, I would, it wouldn't surprise me if it was close to 50 50. I think of all the times and a lot of the stories we hear throughout the hunting season of guys saying, I don't know what happened. There was great blood. Um, very, I smoked it, it. It was bubbly blood. I smoked it, but I just don't know really. Like, we never found him. We trailed it for hundreds of yards and, and it just finally it went bled away. And blood and blood and then slowed down. And, and you say, What did you jump him? I don't think so. But something happened, and we never found it. And a lot of times, I immediately think, one lung deer that got pushed. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the most underrated factors of the entire equation, and why deer go so far one-lunged, is complete adrenaline. Yeah. Pure adrenaline. They're I mean, a lot tougher than we are. Extremely tough. I have seen... Unfortunately, deer do some absolute crazy things, wounded deer, um, and that would just blow your mind as to how did they go so long? How did they go so far? How did they sustain an injury of that magnitude and survive? Um, it, it honestly blows blows your mind, and you know, hopefully you don't have to witness or see some of that stuff, but if you've hunted long enough or, or been part of recoveries or these blood trails that seem to just continue and drag on and on and on, um, you, you can, you're trying to put yourself in that animal's shoes as you're taking that trail up and, and trying to understand, okay, are they taking this, this trail? Are they going through this opening? how they get over that log and how they, why are they going uphill now? Um, but seriously, it is, it's almost like mesmerizing. You don't, you can't wrap your head around this deer just had an arrow shaft with a two inch expandable broadhead go through its chest, take out one lung and it is still moving. <laughs> I, I would honest it, 
let's just say something happened, I would be down on the ground waving that white flag. Like, I'm done. I'm, no, no I'm doubt. done. No doubt. <laughs> it's incredible, though. I mean, when that tennis ball hit me today. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we were having a serious brainstorm session and uh, throwing a tennis ball back. It hit him in the... The old family jewels, and it was down for the count for about five minutes. That was just a tennis ball. Yeah, an accidental throw. Yeah, and then I, you know, you brought up when you were explaining. I was thinking about a uh, whenever you said we've all been on the blood trail. It went on and on and on. And I think how much, and I was thinking about saying how much time you got because I can tell you way more, way over thirty minutes, story oh, after yes. story after story after story after story. After story, I think I got it of <laughs> blood trails from friends and family and employees and employers and all these people that I've followed and been in the woods with to where we follow a blood trail that has no end. Yeah, and almost, I mean, there's a lot of times where search. it's it's been other shots, but a lot of these have been the bubbly blood it looks great but it's just not quite the double lung amount that i was looking for but it still looks good let's go ahead and keep trailing and a lot of times we end up bumping that deer or never finding it and frankly it's just because there's a lot of things but one of the biggest problems we make with one lung deer is not giving them enough time well and that and throughout hunting and hunting together um and, and throughout, you know, it's been, what, seven years now and, and some time in between where we weren't hunting together. But we've had a camera with us recording, and you have the ability to go back and really watch the path of the arrow because this whole thing is an angles game. The, a one-lung deer, again, you think you smoked it, and, and you might have the great left and right and up and down, but really just the slightest angle off one direction and and you're one lunging this deer and and you have to have the ability to go back and watch especially if you don't hear that deer fall i think that's the most important thing if if you've made a great shot and you're in the stand you're like do i get down do i go after it did you hear it fall did you hear a definitive crash and everything go silent and if you didn't then to me, I immediately get a little worried. We, If we have the ability, definitely go back and watch the footage and, and think about the angles of, is this a one lung or a for sure double lung? I'm confident it's double lung, but let's still just give it a little bit more time. And because- I think one of the biggest things is in that first 10 foot of the blood trail, you can figure out if it's one lung or double lung. Yeah, yeah. If I only find blood on one side of the trail, um, or if it's not as much, if I find myself going, oh, I really expected more blood than this, probably one lot. Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes, you know, that could be the arrow shaft still in that deer um, and it's not pumping all the way out. But if it's a pass through and you're not getting the blood that you think you should be getting, possibly a one lung shot especially if you're at those angles a quarter and two um, or quartering away and again that that rule uh, or that we kind of self-impose is if you don't hear the deer crash it's not and it's not I guess a a thinking negatively it's it's not a um, 
always questioning your ability and and not thinking on the bright side of things. It's thinking and taking the, the precautions so that you can still remain successful and happy <laughs> down the road when you do take up the trail. Um, but again, if, if you feel like you smoke it and you don't hear it crash, you need to give it time. Yes. I, I, story time. So I was in college hunting public ground um and i had walked and walked and walked back to this little bitty you know half the time for me it was always exploring seeing new country so i had went to a totally new area on a conservation area and i walked way back in and uh, i actually <laughs> i had actually missed a buck on the way in it was during the rut so bucks deer were just running everywhere I'd missed a buck on the way in. I was very irritated. It happened so fast I didn't have a chance to range it. So I ended up getting my arrow, walking on in, got to this little food plot, and sat down in a treetop. Um, and I'm sitting on the ground. Here comes a doe to an hour later, getting chased by a couple bucks, chasing, grunting. A, I don't know, probably a 150, 10-pointer runs out long, long tines. And I could not get him to stop for anything. I'm yelling, whistling, screaming. He just keeps chasing this doe. He runs through the food plot, stands up on the hill. And I couldn't get a shot. It was too far. I hear another buck coming. And this thing runs out, looked like a stinking horse. Huge body. Uh, but didn't have the same rack uh, as the other one. He was just an old beat up. He's a cold buck. <laughs> yeah, cold buck. <laughs> he was a. Uh, he looked like he's probably a one forty eight pointer, just real massive, but a huge body. And I'm doing the same thing, trying to get him to stop. Finally, he stops, forty five yards. Arrow releases. Looks like an absolute smoke job. Right behind the shoulder. Boom. I see about two inches of the uh, vein sticking out um, on this side. So I'm like, okay, arrow went all the way through or uh, through both sides. This deer is toast. I give him 30 minutes. I'm trying to get cell service. I don't have enough cell service. This was the last night of our hunt, of our three-day hunt. And so I am a little bit rushed going, okay, we're going to have to drag this deer all the way out of here. So I can't – we need to give him time, but – Hopefully, this isn't going to last all night. So I walked out, got to cell service, called my buddy, told him I'd shot one. He's like, okay, I'll be over for too long. I went ahead, and I'm like, I'll just meet you back down at the food plot. So I walk on down. By this point, it's 45 minutes. 45-minute double-lung deer. It should be done. Toast, right? Should be. I walk down there. I get to the edge of the wood, and I hear edge of the woods, and I hear deer run off. I think there's no way that's that deer. Mm-hmm. No way. Walk up in there. Sure enough, there's a kind of a bed, but fresh blood. I'm like, that probably was that deer. I walk back out. 30 minutes later, my buddy gets there. So this time it's almost an hour and a half from, from the shot. We start trailing it. Super windy. And we are like, are we jumping this deer? There's blood everywhere. But it's like fresh. And we trailed that deer for two and a half hours. On just blood the whole it, time, pushing just kept it, pushing, pushing it. it. Yep. And to, we would stop and wait 20 minutes or so, and we're like, I don't know if we're pushing it or not. We can't hear it. It wasn't like, and we're shining the lights up ahead, and we, as far as we can see, there's no eyes, nothing. It's like, what in the world? I don't think we're pushing it. 
Now, looking back, we totally were pushing that deer. We should have just stopped. <laughs> but young, dumb, impatient, and... Excited. Excited. Well, I, I think that's one of the... There's two things out of that whole little spiel there. We'll break down for a second. But excited. It's, you, it's such a mindset to slow yourself down. If you have other people who get pumped up, excited for you, you've got to slow them down um, and really slow the motion of the track job, replay everything, and read the sign. Read the sign that is available to you based on the information of the shot that you have and make an educated, wise decision. Slow down. You almost always, it seems like when you're a group of guys, and I am all in favor of camaraderie in the hunting woods and getting the buddies together and tracking deer, but a lot of times when you get a bunch of guys together to track and deer, you get two guys looking for blood and the third guy ends up shining the light ahead and trying to, he's, he's, he's just looking he's for the a looker. body. And, he's the, he's the body he's searcher. the one that goes too doggone fast. And so there's almost like you need a guy who, uh, he, he's the one who stands who goes, in the front with his arms out and is like, yeah. get back, back, get back. back. Well, and, and there, there does need to be a little bit of a, a hierarchy, if you will, uh, but someone in in the lead, your spotter, who is best eyes, um, looking, investigating, searching, because and and tracking at night and tracking during the day are two completely different things. But um, someone who can interpret the sign and make those decisions, who honestly, it may not be the guy who shot because he is super excited. It's a guy. Um, who, who's got, again, got a good set of eyes, but is calm and is able to make the decisions that need to be made and say, you know what, we need to back out. We need to come back in the morning or we need to give this deer another three hours. We need to give this deer six hours. Um, interpret the sign, make the right decision, and understand beyond right where you're at, what is the habitat like or the cover? What's the structure, the vegetation like around you in your vicinity where is this deer going? Why is he going there? How is he going to get there? And then you can understand maybe what kind of shape is this a fatal shot as the as you're taking that trail um, to that deer. So Adam, did you guys ever recover that deer? Nope, never did. We actually uh, it was a, my buddy worked on that conservation area, so he went back on Monday and like drove through that area and found where we had stopped, um, where we had lost last blood. He looked mm-hmm. during daylight. I, I honestly like tracking deer at night. I, I feel like I see blood better at night than I do mm. during the daytime. And, uh, cause I, I, there's too many distractions. Um, like you can see red leaves and red specks during the day feel like at night i'm focused just where my light is and so i really have to focus on just that one foot or two foot circle looking for blood he went back during day found a little bit of blood never found it i i suspect that deer perished but we never found it heartbreaker heartbreaker that was the first good deer i ever shot no take that back that was the first deer probably over 140 that I ever shot at with a bow. I shot another good deer uh, two years prior uh, that I never found. Um, that was a 
quarter and two shot, but that's not this week's podcast. That deer ended up getting shot the next week by a gun hunter. So right. Um, but yes, that was one of those heartbreakers that was like where I was left scratching my head. That was the first time I realized what a one lung deer. When I went back and really thought about it, when I was yelling at that deer and trying to get him to stop, he stopped. But I was going, meh, 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 hey. And finally, when he stopped, he stopped broadside, but then he took two steps. Like he moved his, he kept his butt where it was, but he kind of turned his shoulders. He pivoted shoulders his front shoulders. More. And it was that motion that made me, I, I didn't realize he did that or I didn't register it whenever you I was. compensate. Just, yes. And so, frankly, when I shot, I was thinking broadside. And then when I saw the arrow, um, threw him. I thought, oh, behind the shoulder is perfect, but it was a one lung, and it was the back of one lung. The back of one lung, and missed the opposing, the opposite side is that top right lobe, basically. Yeah. And I yeah. did, so I didn't hit liver. I didn't hit any of that heart. Mm-hmm. Um, as my buddy Dustin would say, I didn't even hit spleen. I hit, <laughs> I hit one back of one lung. Yeah. So uh, yeah. you just and basically, and after that, it, in that path, if you look at the anatomy of deer, it's just space it's just yeah. uh, uh diaphragm almost no man's land right yeah. then it's going to pass through that other opposing diaphragm um so, that's that was a very unfortunate heartbreaker and the bad thing is my buddy they were really moving that night that was like one of those when we look at time frames or nights whenever you say holy cow what was what was causing them to move mm-hmm. because my buddy shot a really nice deer that night as well and Everybody saw a good deer that night. Hmm. And it's like, what? looking back, what was it that caused the deer to move like crazy? And it was a combination of a lot of things that we'll talk about on one of the podcasts, I'm sure. But not just there was a cold front. There was a lot of other things that came into play that was like yeah. the, the stars aligned. Mm. Well, one of the ones that uh, is honestly fresh in our mind, <clears throat> and we talked about... Um, with the last podcast, but it is there's a lot of similarities and, and points that need to be made from this track job was uh, your brother's uh, not miss, but one lung last year in Kansas. Kansas yeah. And that was a, a tough situation and a, a judgment call that was not on camera. Um, and he felt very confident with the shot. Again, that those first 50 yards or, or more, I really say a first hundred yards of blood was incredible. I mean, we were seeing it was it was great, but it was still not double lung blood. It was, but it was honestly probably the closest to double lung blood that I've ever seen within that first stretch. And then after that hundred yards, it began to peter out, peter out, and peter out to begin getting to drops and drops and drops. But we had rain coming in. Um, and How often does that happen? That, that the the deer I mentioned, not the one that I told the big story about, but the one that got shot by a gun hunter. Yeah, that was another one that we had to. We ended up moving too quickly because there was <laughs> there was actual tornado warnings being mm-hmm. um, issued issued to where it was like we got to get the heck out of here, but let's look for this deer real quick, or we're never going to find blood. Yeah, and uh, we ended up pushing that deer. What it's the thing I. I... How many times, or, or that first bed after a one lung shot, in your experience, 
I have a number in my head of, of after the shot, that distance they run before they first bed down on a one lung deer. What do you think that distance is? For me, it's a, it's really not that far. I, uh, to me, I, I think of a couple really key one lung classic one lung deer and both times they were less than 150 yards from where I shot them. I was going to say, no doubt, I'm confident, 250 yards or in from that shot, a that deer, one lung, is going to bed down. Yeah. And, and here's the thing. I would much rather, in an instance where you have incoming rain, and this is if, 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 if I was the only one making the decision, if you know that deer is going to bed down, the chances are very likely within 250 yards of where you shot it, you have a good direction of the path in which he's going. I would much rather do a body body cavity search the day after with rain, heavy rains have probably washed away the blood, but given that deer ample time, then push and go after him. And that's where, I mean, we can debate this with all kinds of people till the cows come home, but... What's well, your, I want the deer to come home. <laughs> what's your definition of ethics? And I see it so many times of guys saying you have to look for that deer. But is it ethical to push follow to push a deer to or risk pushing a deer? Or is it more ethical to skip the actual blood trail and try to do a body search after the rain? Knowing specifically on one lung deer how they react, the condition that they're in, and what it takes for that deer to expire, I'm 100% confident in saying I would rather wait. It is more ethical for, for us to wait, for anyone to wait and do a body search. Because that, at that point, it doesn't matter if you have eight friends. There's no trail to mess up. There's not much sign left for them to interfere with you want eyeballs in the woods you want the most people grid searching and the direction in which that deer ran but he's also but he's got eight hours for him to expire and not the continual pushing 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 and, and tracking specks and and getting a few beds that might have a little bit of blood in them you need and excuse me that deer needs time to expire yeah i to me, and that goes with the whole, I mean, the debate of let's look at a deer that is shot in hot temperatures. Oh, How yeah. many times do people say, oh, I'm going to go after him right away because I don't want that meat to spoil. Mm-hmm. But they end up pushing the deer because they think, well, if I don't find him within two hours of the shot, the meat's spoiled. Well, to me, then it's going... Well, if you're concerned about the meat spoiling that quickly, why did you shoot him in the first place? Yeah. Uh, there's nothing ethical about that. If you're shooting a deer and then going after it very quickly, even on a mediocre shot, because you don't want the meat to spoil, that's not ethical. No, that that's the decision that should have been made as you were trying to debate whether to go hunting or not. Yeah. Like, if I'm put in the situation, do I do this? Um, and how many times, and like leaving a deer overnight, we advocate leaving deer overnight, overnight, if it's illegal in your state, giving it plenty of time. And then people say, well, if you leave a deer overnight, early season, the meat's going to be spoiled. 
how do we know when this deer is going to perish? Mm-hmm. Especially if it's one lung deer. Now my next story goes into that of how long a one lung deer can live. Uh, oh, I know exactly where, where this one's going. I had a, a a buddy that actually, so I was I was filming in another state, and I'm on my way. I'm trying to get back home so I can pack up and head north to hunt hunt with my buddies the w- week before gun season. And we end up they end up getting permission on some private ground. End up going in that afternoon hunting from the ground, just kind of scouting. Buck chases a doe by my buddy. He shoots it 15 yards, kind of slightly quarter and two, but it's on the ground, 15 yards. I mean, stick an arrow right in there and be done with it is in his head. Um, this deer, because it was on a northern Missouri drainage ditch hunt, they're not hunting far away from each other, so this deer ends up running and laying down closer to another buddy that was hunting in there, um, like 40 yards away. And he, they end up texting back and forth. He's like, did you just shoot that deer? And he's like, yep. And he goes, it's not, it's not dead. It's laying over here kind of like breathing heavy. And he goes, yeah, well, it's quarter and two. And he goes, I think I only hit one lung probably. Okay. Well, that deer laid there and laid there and laid there. And that was early into the hunt, like 345. Of course, at that time of the year, it's getting dark about 545. So two hours go by. Um, it's almost dark. Deer's still not dead. And ends up trying to crawl out of there. Um, not sure if he's going to jump it or not. But they crawl out of there. They're wanting to go back that night. And I'm like, if that deer's one lung, you need to give it plenty of time. So I finally, I'm headed up there. I said, I'll meet you up there in the morning. They finally pretty much held my buddy down. <laughs> tied him to the chair, you might as well say, in the hotel room to keep him from going out there that night. We finally get out there the next morning. Uh, actually, my brother ends up killing a deer earlier that morning because they're trying to still buy time and let me get up there. We finally start taking up the trail about 11 that morning. And we found that deer, and he was not stiff. Mm-hmm. And it was cold. Um, I the mean, the right conditions frost. to leave one overnight to expire. Yeah, right. and he was still not. He was still limber. And he shot that deer at 3.45, and the next morning at 11, I, I can't even, in my head, how many hours that is, but plenty of time. And uh, that deer was still not, so if they would have gone after him that night, they would have jumped him. If they had gone after him early in the morning, they'd most likely jumped him. Um, and thankfully, we gave him plenty of time, and we found that deer. 215-incher, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, but definitely one of those, wow. Deer that are one lung can live a long time. Resilient. Well, that just goes to um, another story of recovery. You were with the the hunter and, and filmed um, the shot, and, and we took up the trail. It was dark, so you couldn't really see from the footage um, the exact placement of the arrow, but um, thought there was a crash and ended up being just the, the sound of the deer going through thick, heavy brush going down a hill, but decided to take up the, the trail that night and, and felt really confident about it. Um, it was a, kind of a chip shot, but anyhow, we begin to take up the trail and ended up hearing the deer get up beyond us and decide at that point it was best to simply leave that night and come back and return in the morning. We returned, oh, it was probably about 7 30 8 o'clock the next day and um took up the trail began from where we left off followed blood and it kind of got sparse um and then it got really sparse but it was still fresh um it seemed like 
the deer was bleeding as it was going, like we were bumping it, but we were just couldn't believe it. Um, again, this this was another a cooler night. It wasn't you know extremely cold, but um, we thought maybe with the the humidity and the dew and stuff on the ground that perhaps that's what was keeping the blood um, from drying out. And oh yeah, we're we're not we're not jumping this deer. But as we get closer and closer, we physically see the deer get up from um, a brush pile and continue around. And that deer had not expired with a one long shot. And that's, we probably bumped him at 10 o'clock the next day. And he was at at the beginning of the blood trail bleeding very, very well. Um, and, but gave the signs that any hunter would want to take up. Um, but you didn't hear the crash from the stand. That's correct, Adam. Or you, you kind of thought you had. Wasn't 100% sure, but uh, with the blood, the sign on the arrow, decided to go after it. That's right. Yep. But then again, once we did know we bumped it, backed out, that still wasn't enough time for the one lung deer. And that's why I feel, though, it gets... You lose so many one, one lung deer because this was... Oh, probably 13, 14 hours later, that deer was on four legs walking around still. (laughs) Had that much energy, that much adrenaline still pumping as we were bumping it ahead of us. um, And then we finally did see it. I mean, it was incredible to see that resilience play forward. And same thing with that, that really large deer that you guys had. That was another double digit hours that that deer was given. He was limber when you guys found him. Um, what looks like a smoke shot, and especially in the trail, the first 50, 60, 70 yards, can still be very misleading. So you have to know if you double you have to or read not. the signs. Got to. And Listen for the crash. I think that's... Watch the deer's movement as he runs, and then also look at that arrow, look at that blood trail. And don't ever take it for granted and think, no. oh, yeah, that's that deer's dead. I'm going to find him dead deer walking and uh, go in there like an idiot stumbling around looking. Um, to me, every blood trail we take is always, unless we hear the crash and, and don't hear anything after that, uh, we see the deer down. If we don't see either of those two or hear that, we take the trail up like it's a gut shot deer and we have to track it like our... Like, it's life depends Slow on it. and steady. And but, quietly. Yeah. That's one thing I do. I feel like i kind of a, a, a Nazi when it comes to be the a sound on a, on a blood trail. Is people talking loud or kind of cutting up? It's like, whoa, no. I don't want like, to do that. I don't, stand at the truck. I don't like the lights up high looking either. If, if you have light, because you've seen buddies, if you've ever had, if you've ever hunted with people, if you're in a stand, you have someone come meet you and, and they have to have a flashlight. How far away do you see them from? Oh, like you see so them coming long. from forever if it's completely dark. You'll, you've got to put yourself in the other, the point of view of that deer. Like they see you coming if you're searching at night and you're, shining these lights all the way through the woods and, and looking way up ahead those lights travel and travel and travel so that's why i like to oh. track with red lights mm-hmm. right yeah you know <laughs> it, it makes that blood glow <laughs> no totally kidding we may have to do a podcast gear review on flashlights 
because there's certain ones that we really like, but bright LED is what I like, but point that baby at the ground. Yeah, yeah. So. I don't know. To me, the biggest takeaway, if someone was to uh, say, okay, bottle it up, listen for the crash. If you think you crushed deer, you think you doubled lung, you think you smoked it, if you don't hear the crash, begin to question. Unless he's in grass. Correct. Correct. But you should be able to hear a crash if you double lung or heart shot a deer. You you should be able to see it or hear it crash. From the stand, yes. And if you don't, then, you know, there's a, a slight chance that it may have fallen in something that wasn't very loud or or ran just off the hill to a place you couldn't hear. Or, or, or bedded down and quickly expired in its bed, but I still want to take up that. I still want to be cautious. Yes. Still want to take up that trail with with precision, with accuracy, with time um, on your side. So hopefully no one's going to one lung a deer this year. But if you do, heed the warnings and consider slowing down, doing it with limited people. And, oh, wow. Just got a trail camera picture from what? My brother. Snakes, right? Snakes, yeah. That's the deer awesome. that we hunted last year. I actually took a shot at him late muzzleloader season and wasn't sure and confident didn't hit him in the snow. But uh, we hadn't had pictures of him in a while, and we actually just got pictures of him. So, yeah, He's Snakes alive. is alive. Look at that. That pretty well, I mean, th- that's the gist of it when it comes to one lung deer. It's, it's very, it's like one of those things that it's so, so close to being a dynamite shot, just a perfect shot. It's so close. But yet so far away. So, so easily mistaken, though, too. Yes. I mean, it's just, uh They're right there. Yep. And so... Definitely keep that in mind when you're when you make that shot this fall of thinking about a one lung versus two lung and and that it can take the slightest little turn of the body to change it from one lung to two lung. Absolutely. Um, so there you have it. One lungers, be this, cautious. Yeah, that's right. Be smart. That's right. Um, so when it comes to would you rather's, Matt, would you rather? Um, I don't. I don't. I don't even want to. Would you rather this fall draw a uh, head out west to hunt uh, elk in Idaho, or would you rather do um, spot and stalk in Nebraska for whitetails? <sighs> I'd rather go uh, elk hunting. Never done it. Yeah. Never it's done. A lot it. of fun. So I'm. I'm. I'm going on that. Um, would you rather go to Alaska and shoot some ducks on the, off the coast, the just ba- some the random Bering sea, or yeah. is that what they call it? Well, the old Bering sea, or would you rather go off the coast of Maine to the Atlantic side and shoot King Eiders there? Alaska? Alaska. Yeah, that was yeah. a dumb question. I'd rather go to Alaska, too. <laughs> yeah. Maine or Alaska to shoot ducks. Now, if you just said Alaska to shoot ducks or Maine to shoot a moose, I'd probably say Maine to shoot a moose. Yeah. Um, but when it's we're, we're hunting birds in both places, I'm going to Alaska. Alaska, no doubt. All right, guys. We appreciate you guys following along, listening. Love your reviews. Remember, apparel's dropping very soon. Some of the best reviews will get free stuff. So, anyway, 
Also, sign up on our on our uh, website. What new website's getting ready to launch as well? That's right. Um, sign up for the uh, basically sign up so you can get email email alerts. We're going to be adding some new things this year, so you don't want to miss out. Anyway, we will catch you next time. Peace out. Thanks for listening to another episode of Land and Legacy's Hunting and Habitat Management Podcast. If you like what you hear, check us out at landlegacy.tv. You can submit a viewer question right there, and we're answering the podcast, or find us on Facebook and Instagram. Feels pretty good knowing that from the beginning of time, God has called us to be a caretaker, a gamekeeper, a manager of the land. So with that being said, don't you think we should do it all for the love of the land and the glory to God? Mm-hmm.